0: All right. let's go ahead and get started. So find your seat and we will get into the Word of God. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to finish out this chapter this morning as we look at verses 11 through 18. And in this passage, we're going to see the the fundamentals of fellowship. That's the title of our message this morning, the fundamentals of fellowship. A fellowship. So last week we learned that the theme of chapter 6 is just that. It's the fellowship of the ministry and how that fellowship with the Lord is, is cultivated and experienced through the circumstances of ministry and how it, how it produces specific characteristics that the minister needs and as he or she goes through the, the contrast and the paradoxes of the Christian life and and that laid the perfect foundation for what we're going to look at this morning as Paul drills down on this topic of fellowship even further, and he clearly outlines for us what is required for true biblical fellowship to occur, and, th- and then he also lets us know what's produced when true biblical fellowship does occur. So I think this message, it should be good for all of us, it should, it should help all of us. And Christian fellowship is defined in, in many ways, depending on on who you talk to and, and when you talk to them, I think, but you know one of my favorites is is uh, two fellows in the same ship have Have you heard that one? <laughs> two fellows in the same ship Well, I mean you know there's actually something to that, but it's it's definitely not enough. Uh, some people think fellowship is just sharing a meal together, right preferably a a potluck in the church's fellowship hall. I mean, uh, you know, uh, and, and you know, there's actually something to that as well. There, there is a connection biblically between food and fellowship. You can see it in Acts chapter 2. But again, that's not enough. It doesn't give us the full definition of fellowship. It's certainly not only sharing a meal with another believer. In fact, when you study fellowship in Scripture, what you find, and many of you know this, is that, that first of all, and I think this is on your outline sheet, fellowship is two-dimensional. Fellowship is two-dimensional. It begins vertically with the Father. So that's what you know. two fellows in the same ship or just having a meal kind of misses on. And it begins vertically with the Father, and then it extends horizontal, horizontally to, to other believers in Christ. And the hinge that allows for both of those connections to occur, is Jesus Christ. Amen. You can see this in places like 1 John chapter 1. In verse 3, John says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And then down in verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. And Paul provides even more light on this in, in, in many places. First Corinthians one nine is, is an example. He says, "God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord." And so that's that's where we have to start with fellowship. We have a, a vertical relationship, and then we can have, after that's in place, we can have the horizontal relationships with each other. But beyond this two dimensional aspect of fellowship, it's it's connected to some other things that we see in scripture more than just food fellowship is also connected to things like the gospel in Philippians 1:5 Paul said that he thanked God for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now and then we also see that our fellowship is connected through suffering Philippians 3:10 Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. You see, fellowship is much deeper than sharing a meal together, being in the same ship together, metaphorically. It's sharing life together in Jesus Christ. It's sharing ministry. It's sharing the hard times that we experience because of the ministry. And when we do that, it draws us closer to each other, and it draws us closer to God. But for all of that to come together and work the way God intended, there are some fundamental elements that need to be in place in your life. And that's what Paul lays out for us in this passage that we come to this morning. So let's look at it together. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. And then we'll ask the Lord to bless our time together in His Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. The Bible says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. You're not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we love you so much. We're, we're so thankful uh, we're so thankful for you. As we come up on, on this week of Thanksgiving, uh, we, we, we don't want to be negligent to just tell you how incredibly thankful we are for, for being in your family, those of us who are. And, and, and Lord, sure, there's a lot of craziness going on around us, but Lord, in you, we're safe and secure. And Lord, so we're so thankful for that. We're thankful for the opportunity you have given us to be a part of, of the ministry of reconciliation and the job that you've given us to, to, to get out your word and your gospel to this world. And Lord, we, I think we all acknowledge and recognize that that time is short, and so Lord, I pray uh, for our earnest devotion to that calling, um, and, and, and even be more devoted to it uh, as we come out of this morning uh, exploring this, this aspect of fellowship. Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word, certainly. I pray that it is honoring and glorifying to you. Lord, I, pr- I pray that you'll use it in all of our lives and, and only the way you can, that the Holy Spirit will do the work that only he can do. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so as we move into this second half of, of 2 Corinthians chapter six, we see a bit of a shift from Paul. And so I'm, I'm gonna warn you up front, you're gonna have to stay with me a little bit today. We're gonna be talking about a lot of different things and I'm gonna try to bring it all together for you at the end. This is a very popular passage If you've been around church for a while, you're you're familiar with this passage, certainly starting in verse 14, to be not unequally yoked together, but maybe we're going to see it in a little bit of a different light than normal. So I I want you to, we're going to start and we're going to progress through this, so I want you to stay with me. And like I said, Paul kind of shifts here, and it's still connected to everything we saw coming out of of chapter 5, where Paul ends talking about that ministry of reconciliation that we've been given. And how we've been made ambassadors for Christ. And then in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, again, coming out of chapter 5, we then, as workers together with him, with the Lord, we beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. He said, we have this job to do together. We've been given this ministry. And, and while it certainly applies to all of us individually, we are to do it together as the church. But then he also gives a warning Here at the end of verse 1, when he says, I beseech you all so that you receive not the grace of God in vain, he's saying, listen, I I sure hope you are actually going to take seriously this ministry of reconciliation and working together with us in that ministry. Because that's why you've received the grace of God, so that you can share it. And I'm afraid that his grace to you is going to be in vain, and that that you're actually not going to share it. And we learned last week how we're not saved to sit, we're saved to serve. And then, and then Paul comes out of that, out of, out of verse 1, and he lays out uh, all those circumstances and characteristics and contrasts outlining how the Christian life should look and the challenges we face as we are, are doing the ministry of reconciliation. It's still in that context. But then in verse 11, where we picked up the text this morning, he kind of shifts back again to that thought at the end of verse 1, where he's like, I'm kind of concerned. I'm concerned that God's grace is going to be in vain because our fellowship, this is Paul speaking, our fellowship in the gospel isn't like it should be. And when he describes that to them, he gives us the first fundamental of fellowship, the first necessary ingredient for true fellowship to be present. And that is sincerity. Look back at verse 11, and let me explain this to you. Paul says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. You're not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now, for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Now, there's some good King James English in those verses that. That may be a little bit difficult to fully comprehend for some folks. So, if you're any, if you're anything like me, because I'm I'm one of those folks, you gotta take a second and you gotta figure it out. And he starts with, Oh ye Corinthians," and that's kind of saying, "Listen up, guys. I got something to say here." And what he says is. We, and, and when he says we, he's, he's talking about him and Timothy and, and Titus. And he says, We have been open and honest and sincere with you all. But you haven't returned the favor. In fact, you've stiffened yourself against us. You've not accepted us and you've pushed us away. That's verse 12. You're not straightened in us. That, he's saying, It's not our fault. We didn't do anything to cause you to treat us this way. Ye are straightened in your own bowels. This is coming from you. He says, you have something inside you, deep inside, in your bowels, that is keeping you from having true fellowship with us. And you're not being sincere. So all I ask, verse 13, as a father to his children is that you are sincere to us like we have been to you. Recompense, the word recompense that you see in verse 13, it just means to make right, to make amends, to pay back. And Paul says, listen, we're not right with each other. And to get right, we need you to be sincere. Will you do that? That's what Paul is asking him. Because in spite of all the problems and the heartaches this church at Corinth had caused Paul, he still loved them very much. And he wanted fellowship with them. And you see that throughout both of his epistles to them. Just one example, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 12. He says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, and in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. We've had our conversation, our lifestyle has been open, not only to the world, but and more abundantly to you, Word. We've been sincere, we've been open with all of our life to you guys. He was honest. He was sincere with them because of his desire for fellowship. And so for us, I mean, obviously, that means that sincerity is necessary f- with each other for us to have true biblical fellowship. If I'm not sincere with you and, and vice versa, th- then our fellowship will be limited. That, that is just the way it is. And we see two aspects of sincerity in this passage, and and this is very important. We have to understand this. Because Paul said, Our mouth was open to you, and our heart was enlarged. And the open mouth signifies full communication. He had opened himself up to them, just like we read in 2 Corinthians 1.12. He had hidden nothing. They were were fully aware of all of Paul's problems, his struggles, his fears, even his failures. He was true in everything he said to them. And then the enlarged heart signifies his love, and that his love had encompassed them. If you're a parent, you understand this saying. It's like, man, I, 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 I didn't know I could love as much as I did when I had this child. And you think, I don't, I don't have any more love to give. And then you have another child. And your heart enlarges. It gets bigger. And you have love that encompasses them. This is what Paul is saying. He says as a father to his children. His heart was enlarged. He has space for love. So let me give you this definition of sincerity. Sincerity is the perfect blend of truth and love. It's the perfect blend of truth and love. Kind of like what Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 tells us. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into into him in all things, which is the head even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together. That's true fellowship. Compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, make an increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love sincerity for sincerity to occur truth and love both have to be present and when it comes to truth let me make this distinction because Paul was not only saying that everything he told them was in truth but it was also the truth that according to John seventeen seventeen, is the word of God so Paul was always truthful with them about himself but also about everything the word of God had to say He gave them the truth because he didn't withhold the word of God from them. And he reminded reminded them of this over and over and over again because he knew that there would be people out there that wanted to steal the truth from them. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, there are people that want to steal the truth from you. So as far back as 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So that's all I'm speaking about. I'm just giving you the Word. And then a couple examples from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians two seventeen 17 says, For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. And 2 Corinthians 4, 2. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, walking not in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Paul says, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We've been open and honest and sincere. We have been true. And I can say that in front of you and God. In, the, in front of you and in the sight of God. We've given you the truth. And there's so many more places we could go. But over and over again, Paul told the Corinthians, listen, because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. See, you can't separate truth and love. I mean, think about it. If you're not willing to tell someone the truth, do you really love them? So even when it was uncomfortable, Paul told them the truth because he always gave them what the Word of God had to say. He was sincere. That's the first fundamental of fellowship. But others weren't. That's what Paul said. We're not as, as many others that have corrupted the Word of God, that walk in dishonesty and craftiness. It's why Paul took the time to warn them about the importance of truth. You know, a little bit ago, I was explaining, you know, what verses 11 through 13 mean. They said the Corinthians had something inside them that was keeping them from having true fellowship with Paul and, and Timothy and those guys. And Paul even talks about it later in this epistle. They had, they had come to the point, the Corinthians had come to the point where they had even doubted that Paul was speaking on behalf of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 13, 3, look at what he says. He says, Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you it is not weak, but is mighty in you. They didn't even believe that the Lord was speaking through Paul anymore. They wanted proof. So what happened? Why was there this break in fellowship with Paul? This is the guy who started the church. He spent a year and a half in Corinth giving everything to them. And after he left, something changed. And now their love is lacking and they've stiffened and they've positioned themselves against Paul. Why? Why? Well, if we, we keep reading in his epistle, we learn why. The Corinthians weren't in fellowship with Paul and Timothy and Titus because many of them didn't have the same view of truth. So that is the book of First Corinthians. We studied it. They were off in so many things. He had to first Corinthians was a book of correction, doctrinal correction, stuff they did not learn from Paul. And then even here, they still, this is the second epistle, they still don't have it all right. A few things are better, a few things are better after 1 Corinthians, and he talks about those. They don't have it all right. We saw in 2 Corinthians 13, they wanted proof that he was speaking for Christ. And so they had been moved off the doctrines that Paul had taught them. And again, we know this because Paul tells us. Look at what he says in chapter 11 of this second epistle. Second Corinthians eleven, verses one through five says, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. He knew there was people coming in trying to take his spot, and he was had a godly jealousy over them. For I've espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin in Christ. And, And and that's an important saying and it ties into what we're going to get to today, but we're not going to have time to, to go through it. But just, if, you, if you're interested in Bible study, just note that and then pay attention to some of the things we talk about later on. Verse 3, But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth an, another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which you have not accepted. you might well bear with him. Then skip down to verse 10. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth. He's being sarcastic. God knows. Wait, am I doing this because I don't love you? God knows I love you. And this is just Paul's sincerity again. Truth and love. Then verse 12. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. So you need to understand what's going on here. here, Because, again, this is going to play into where we're going with this message. The the Corinthian church had been infiltrated. (laughs) I mean, again, we see this in 1 Corinthians. We see this here in 2 Corinthians 11. And false teachers, those that had corrupted the word of God, had got in and had a negative influence on the church. And they were moved off of the doctrines that Paul had taught them. And because of it, there was this thing now between them and Paul. And and they had pushed him away, and they had stiffened themselves against him. They lacked love, they weren't sincere. Therefore, they weren't in fellowship. So you need to understand that, but but you also need to say what God is saying to all of us. And that is, if we don't have the same view on the key doctrines of the Word of God, then we can't have fellowship either. Because our fellowship is based in sincerity through truth and love. And if you have a different view of the truth that I do, then we're going to have a fellowship problem. And that doesn't mean we have to dot every I in the same place. It doesn't mean we have to cross every T the same way. But it does mean... We at least have to view Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Gospel the same way, according to Second Corinthians eleven four. And that's why I can't have true biblical fellowship with a Catholic, a Charismatic, or a Calvinist. A Catholic believes Jesus isn't enough. A charismatic believes the Holy Spirit's a toy, and a Calvinist believes that the Gospel isn't for everyone, and even for those it's for, they don't even get to choose it. We can be friends, and we can even be friendly, but we can't have biblical fellowship. So when it comes to those key things, don't be deceived. Don't be beguiled. Be sincere. Let's love each other through the truth of this book as we share our lives together in Christ. As we share the good and the bad, or, or as Paul already put it in this chapter, the honor and dishonor, the evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Amen. Let's share all that. Yes, that's what Paul wanted with the Corinthians. And that's what we want with you. Sincerity through truth and love. It is, it is fundamental to having true biblical fellowship. But then starting in verse 14, we see the second fundamental of fellowship. And that's separation. So we start with sincerity. Second is separation. Look back at verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, again, this section of Scripture is one that, like I said at the beginning, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've heard this. This is Biblical Separation 101. Now, unfortunately... It's a passage that has been misunderstood and abused, mostly in fundamental circles. And, and beyond that, I, I think even for those that don't abuse it, they don't see it exactly the way God intended. We're going to talk about that. But some you know, sincerely zealous Christians, or, or at, least, at least some sincere anyway, have turned separation into isolation, and their fellowship has become so narrow that they can't even get along with themselves. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, some of you know what I'm talking about. And then in reaction to this extreme position, there are other believers that have torn down all the walls. And under the guise of liberty, have chosen to live however they want and have fellowship with anyone they want, no matter how that person lives or believes. And while in certain cases that could maybe be mistaken for Christian love, it certainly ignores truth. But before we drill too far into the practical application of this, I want to work through exactly what paul's saying i want to work through the doctrine of this passage and to get to the heart of what paul is really talking about here you have to remember what we've already discussed so if you've been asleep up to this point i'm sorry just go back to sleep this is you've already messed up Uh, i needed you to be with me from the beginning but you know whatever but if you've been awake and you're tracking with us you know we've been walking down this road that starts at the end of 2 Corinthians 5. This is about the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, this is what this is about. And what's going to hinder it, or what's going to allow it to to thrive in our lives. We've been given that ministry, we've been made ambassadors. Beginning of chapter 6, we're supposed to be in this together, but the Corinthians weren't. Their fellowship in the gospel with Paul was off because they had something inside them, keeping them from being sincere. And it was the false teachers, the false doctrine that had infiltrated the church and moved them off what, what Paul had grounded them in. And we move from that right into verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And I, and I know how this is typically taught. I'm going to teach it that way here in a little bit. <laughs> but but that's a practical application of, of this verse, at least in my opinion. I, I, I certainly could be wrong. But, but The context is the context, and we move from that right into verse 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And and so you probably know this, but a yoke is, you know, a wooden frame that that has a bar or loops at the end that that fitted around the necks of, of two animals that tied them together to force them to function as one. That's what a yoke is. And the yoke is an important feature, because for two animals to work together in a yoke, they need the same nature. You see, nature determines association. So since a pig has a pig's nature, it associates with other pigs in the mud hole. And because a sheep has a sheep's nature, it eats grass with the flock in the pasture. Well, the Christian has a divine nature. And therefore, they should associate themselves with only that which pleases the Lord. Second Peter one verses three and four, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we don't want to yoke ourselves with someone that doesn't have the divine nature. We see this concept of unequal yoke initially in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10. It says, Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. That's not going to work. They have two different natures. You see, to plow or to work together as ambassadors, to work the field that hopefully we've bought, we need the same nature. You can't put an ox and an ass together and expect any work to get done. Because they can't have fellowship. In the Old Testament, the ox was a clean animal to the Jews. An ass was unclean. You can see that in Deuteronomy 14, verses 1 through 8. Additionally, the ass in the Old Testament is a picture of an unsaved man. In Exodus 13, 13, note the numbers. And every firstling of an ass I shall redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. You see, the ass must be redeemed, or it will die. Job eleven twelve 12 says, For a vain man would be wise, though a man be born like a wild ass's colt. See, there's something wrong with that birth. There's something wrong with an ass's birth. And I should be careful here. I think if I, I, think if I emphasize the words in the wrong place, it might be misinterpreted. I'm just reading the Bible. Don't get mad at me. But back to where we're going with all this. The Corinthians, they had listened to false teachers. They had been infiltrated with bad doctrine. Paul said, you're in danger of being beguiled by Satan. And when we get to verse 14, Paul is saying, church, don't tie yourself. Don't wed yourself to those guys. There's no fellowship to be had there. And worse than that, they break the fellowship that you and I can have. So you need to separate from them. And he says this at the church level. That's why you see him use the the plural pronoun ye throughout this section of Scripture. Ye, you, your is used ten times. The, thou, zero. And for those of you that are unaware, King James pronoun usage is actually quite simple. At the very highest level, if it starts with a Y, it's plural. And if it starts with a T, it's singular. So ye, you, your is always plural. Talking to more than one and thee, thou, thy, thine. That's always singular. Talking to a person, an individual. This passage is all all plural. He's talking to the church. Not necessarily the individual. Now, again, that does not mean that it doesn't apply to the individual. It does. We're going to get there in a little bit. But but I believe, and again, I, I certainly could be wrong. I've, I've been wrong plenty of times before, but I believe the clear doctrinal application of this passage is the importance of doctrinal purity within the church. Don't be yoked. Don't tie yourself to people that bring in bad doctrine. Don't allow them to have influence in the church. Don't allow them to move you off the word of God. That, that's what this passage is talking about. And, and not defiling the church with the world's truth in place of God's truth, in place of the truth. They're vastly different. Because when you do that, it hinders your fellowship with God. It hinders your fellowship with true believers. And ultimately, this is what this gets to, where we started at the end of verse 5. It hinders the ministry. It hinders the ministry that we've been called to do. The ministry of reconciliation that we've been given. This is really, ultimately, this is is all about. How successful are we going to be in the ministry of reconciliation? If you tie yourself to people that move you off the key doctrines of the Word of God, then you're going to be less successful than what God desires. Because listen, we're to do it together. We then as ambassadors together, we then as workers together, we're to do it as a church. So don't mess it up, church. This context remains even down to verse 16 when Paul says, For ye are the temple of the living God. Again, that's not the individual. That's still the church. And in the same way, the Old Testament temple was the physical dwelling place of God on this earth. The New Testament church is the body of Christ on this earth. And us as individuals are all members in particular of that body. And so what Christ doesn't want is his body intimately bound, unequally yoked to an unclean thing. That's verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And in this verse, Paul is quoting Isaiah, chapter 52 and verse 11, that says, depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence, touch no unclean thing, go ye out of the midst of her, be ye clean, that bear the vessels of the Lord. And an unclean thing in the Old Testament, there were things that defiled the person from a physical aspect. An unclean thing, an unclean animal, it defiled the person. There's not only animals, there were other things that were unclean and other times that, uh, that were unclean. You guys can look all that up. But You see this mostly in the book of Leviticus. The word unclean is found 194 times in the Bible, 110 of them, 110 of the 194 are found in the book of Leviticus. So anyone who touched an unclean thing was defiled. Leviticus 11.43 is an example. You shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creepeth, neither shall you make yourselves unclean with them, that you should be defiled thereby. So don't do it. Don't touch an unclean thing. You're going to be defiled. And then there was remedy. There was, if you did, uh, what you had to do in the Old Testament. But, but that is the Old Testament. Well, what's the unclean thing that Paul's talking about here you know, for the church? And again, we go back to the first rule of Bible study, context. You know, we know the three most important things for real estates, location, location, location. The three most important things for Bible studies: context, context, context. And we've established the context for you. False teachers corrupting the church through false doctrine, having a different view of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, and the gospel. And maybe they were bringing in humanistic worldviews or preaching a social gospel, a prosperity gospel, who knows? That's what it would be today. But here in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Come out from among them. Again, still plural, just for whatever that's worth. And Who's them? It's those, it's those people that teach and push the worldly junk and they want to corrupt you with it. We need to separate from them because they are unclean. In the New Testament context, they are the unclean thing. So ultimately, if you want my definition of the unclean thing, it's lost people, unsaved individuals who have a negative impact and influence on the people of the church. At least a doctrinal impurity and corruption Within the church. And Paul brings more clarity to this topic in Ephesians chapter five. It's kind of a long passage, but but let's look at verses one through seven. He says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also had loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not be once named among you as become a saint, it's neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving a thanks. For this we know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater. okay, So an unclean person, a covetous man. They're a do- Paul, linked, uh, Paul linked uncleanness and covetousness earlier in verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, Okay, so now we're saying that an unclean person or a covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And what can that unclean person, that idolater do? Why do we need to be careful? Why do we need to avoid them? Because they deceive with words. They bring in false doctrine. Look at verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Verse 7 be ye not therefore partakers with them. Separate. You can't have fellowship with them. Don't be unequally yoked to them. Do not bind yourself to them. They damage the body of Christ by corrupting the word of God, and it's called here idolatry. But, you know, in other places, Paul says, mark them. Paul says avoid them. Colossians 3.5 says a similar thing. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So, so again, keep following with me. Because allowing uncleanness or touching the unclean thing in the New Testament economy, which again, I, I believe to be worldly doctrine in the church, is the equivalent of Old Testament idolatry. And we just talked about how Paul compared the New Testament church to the temple, and the not to touch the unclean, unclean thing, so not to be defiled. And we, we talked about that from the physical aspect, all right, in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, when someone physically touched something, you know, they were unclean. Then there were some steps they had to take uh, to be made clean again, again made, be made clean again. But how about spiritual? What's the spiritual defilement? How was the Old Testament temple and the Israelites, Israelites spiritually defiled? Through idolatry. This is the connection here. This was God's biggest complaint with the nation of Israel. In fact, it was so serious, he considered it spiritual adultery. And we don't have time to go through all that, but you can look in Jeremiah 3, you can look in Ezekiel 16, you can look at Hosea 4, so many places in the Old Testament where God compares spiritual, uh, adul- spiritual adultery and idolatry. He calls idolatry spiritual adultery with him. So Israel committed spiritual adultery over and over again through idolatry. And it got more brazen with time as their fellowship got worse and worse and they got further away from God. And ultimately to the point to where it made its way into the temple. And it's kind of interesting because you can trace Israel's idolatry through the corrupt kings of, of Israel and Judah. And see how the idols were moved closer and closer to the temple over time, ultimately culminating with Manasseh in 2 Chronicles 33.7. It says that he set a carved image, the idol which he made in the house of God, which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house in Jerusalem which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. He brought an idol into it into the house of God, right in God's face. And look at the description of that act in verse 9. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err, and to do worse than the heathen, whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. It was the worst thing he could do. Committing spiritual adultery, not even behind God's back, but right in his face as he sat the uh, idol down in the temple of God, and the temple was defiled because it was unclean. And listen, that describes the church and the churches of today so well. That describes Laodicea. And they started messing with the world, moving away from God's word, and it got worse and worse over time to the point that the carnality And the idolatry is seen in the church, in the pulpits today, every Sunday. In the midst of the church, they stand up here and they denigrate God's word and they promote themselves. It's idolatry. It's unclean. Separate yourselves. So our job to guard against all of this, to remain sincere in fellowship through truth and love so that we can separate from the right things, and not allow the wrong things in. And that's how this corporate application of the church applies to us as individuals as well. Because how does the church corporally get corrupted when we as individual members of the church get corrupted? And we don't keep each other accountable by speaking truth and love. And we're not sincere with each other. And we start moving away from each other and away from God. So just as the church isn't to yoke itself to unbelievers, neither should you, neither should I. Certainly when it comes to you know, the ultimate danger is, 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 is the context we've laid out. It's moving away from Scripture. And it's, it's getting to the point to where the ministry of reconciliation is, is null and void in your life. You don't believe the Word of God and, and so you don't, you don't speak the Word of God. And when that happens over time and, and you rub off on someone else and then that happens to them and then ultimately the church isn't doing the mission it's been called. That's the ultimate danger here. So what are the practical implications of that? How do you practically keep yourself clean? Well, okay, so there are, there are, there are many of them. But you know, that, it means a safe person, someone who's accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, should not get into an intimate, connected relationship with someone who's not saved. Ultimately, that's going to bring damage. The obvious example of this is dating and marriage. And not, not practically, it does go beyond that. I mean, there's, you know, maybe you don't want to start a business with a lost person. You know, there's other practical examples. It's this intimate bonding that's difficult to get untangled from. You know, a, a yoke, you know, the, the, it's, it's rare that the animals are able to, to detach themselves. Someone else has to help with that. This is the type of of connection we're talking about. So there are a lot of practical examples, but I want to go back to dating and marriage for a second. Because it is the best and most applicable for personal separation, the the practical application of, of this passage. Because it is the most intimate and connected relationship we can have with another human. But not only that, If you remember back to 2 Corinthians 11.3 and and some of the places we've gone with this passage, you you can't miss the picture of it and the importance of the marital relationship and the intimacy involved in that. It it can't be denied, that the connection there. Because as we've already seen, the last thing you want to do is commit spiritual adultery against the Lord and shove an unclean thing in God's face just like Manasseh did in the temple. And just like churches do with their carnality and not believing the Word of God for what it is. But you can do it too. And I can do it too. Because remember, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you are a believer. The New Testament church is the temple of the living God. But but that's because you are a member of the church. And you house the Holy Spirit of God inside you. And listen, I'm I'm not going to mess you up by taking you to 1 Corinthians 6.19 pointing out all the ye's and u's, the, the plural context of that passage as well, because it doesn't even matter. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit in the believer is, is true. If you are saved, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside you. John 14, 17, for example, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and, and shall be in you. So why would you want to, Touch an unclean thing and, and defile where God lives. Let me make another connection for you. 1 Corinthians 7.1. This says, Now concerning the things wherever you wrote unto me, it's is good for a man not to touch a woman. We, we studied this when we went through the book of 1 Corinthians. And, and we don't really have the time to dive into all of this, but, but the context there is, is fornication. In fact, the word touch in 1 Corinthians 7 and 2 Corinthians 6.17, it's the same word, both English um, and Greek, but it it does not mean, you know, to accidentally bump into a woman or, you know, shaking your hand on a Sunday morning or giving an appropriate hug. It doesn't mean any of that. The word touch literally means to attach oneself to. Or or maybe you could even say yoke. I don't know. That might be a good word. But either way, it's sexual in nature. And when you join yourself intimately in that way with someone who's not saved or someone you're not married to, the Holy Spirit inside you is offended because you're doing what Manasseh did and you're shoving spiritual adultery or idolatry right in God's face. You're joining yourself, you're attaching yourself to an unclean thing. James 4, verses 4 and 5 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? The Holy Spirit's jealous of us, and the Holy Spirit's offended when we bring and and touch an unclean thing in that way. So listen, I mean, this is obvious from this, but from a very practical perspective, side of things. I do want to make it very practical for you. And, and here it is. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't care what you think about missionary dating and, and marriage. It, it's wrong. And I say that knowing some of you did it, and it even worked out. And if it did, praise the Lord. It still goes against what the Word of God has to say. So, that is what it is. So, we'll never teach it, never encourage it. The natures are different. Focus of life is different. The risk for defilement is too high. The ministry of reconciliation is at risk. And you don't want to be viewed by God as idolatrous. You don't want to corrupt the purity you have in Christ who lives inside of you. And when you touch that person, you force God to as well. Now listen, you shouldn't even be able to have fellowship with them. That's what we've learned. It's It's unbiblical. Just note the connecting words that Paul used in our text. Fellowship. What fellowship? What communion? What concord? It just means harmony. What part? What agreement? Those words describe God's desires for His people. He wants us to share with each other and have in common the blessings of the Christian life. He wants us to have harmony and agreement in, in part, not a part, as we live and work this ministry of reconciliation together. Why? Because that's how it's going to be accomplished. If, we, if we're entangled in situations that distract us from what God has called us to do, it's impossible to, to, to do it the way God asks you to do it. If you're distracted, if, if you're defiled of all these things, listen, ultimately... You'll suffer loss, you know, at some level at the judgment seat of Christ, but, but more than that, the ministry suffers. It's what we're here for. Don't receive God's grace in vain. Do fellowship right so that the ministry will thrive. And when you yoke yourself to someone who doesn't share Christ, the level of fellowship isn't possible. That's why biblical separation is fundamental to fellowship. There's, there's too much at stake. To let it slide, we have to get this one right, both from a a, a personal and then a corporate perspective. But there's one more fundamental fellowship, and this one's quick, and it's good because unlike the other two, this one's not required for true true biblical fellowship to occur. This is what's produced when true biblical fellowship does occur, and what's produced is security. Security. And we get this point through Paul's Old Testament references at the end of this chapter. And it's interesting, because starting in the middle of verse 16, all the way through verse 18 through the end of the chapter, those are all verses and promises to Israel. We already looked at Isaiah 52, 11, that Paul quoted in verse 17. But, but look again at, at 2 Corinthians 6, 17, and you'll see that doctrinally these verses... You're going to get into some some, some rough waters if you try to doctrinally apply these to the church. These apply to Israel. and He's quoting Old Testament. And I'll I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why he did it. But look at verse 17. Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And I, I think it should be pretty obvious how these don't doctrinally apply to the church because no one is made... A son or a daughter by the act of separation—that's that's, that's not for us. Furthermore, doctrinally, there's no such thing as a daughter of God in the body of Christ. When you ladies receive Christ, according to the Bible, you become a son of God. It's a general term for everyone because we are in the son of God. Now, if you want to call yourself a daughter of God because you're female, fine. I don't care. It's, it's just it's just doctrinally incorrect. I should shut up before I get in trouble. <laughs> But when it comes to Israel, you do see this type of designation. In Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7, it says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. It's a great, a great cross-reference to 2 Corinthians 6.18, because it's the same promise of security. And what Paul was saying In the midst of this comparison between the Old Testament temple and the New Testament church, in verse 16, he was saying, hey guys, remember all those awesome promises that God gave to Israel? What he said that he would do for them if they shunned idolatry, which of course they didn't. He says, listen guys, if we'll be sincere with each other, in truth, and in love, if we will separate from the idolatry of this world and the uncleanness that it tempts us with, if we can restore fellowship with each other, we can have those same types of promises as well. We have the promise of security in fellowship with Him. And when the world rejects us, He'll receive us. That's the end of verse 17. And that's obviously not in the context of salvation. That's not how you get saved. It's in the context of fellowship. His arms will always be open to us if we're willing to forsake the world and draw nigh to Him. But not only that, we'll feel the security of that close relationship to the Father. That's verse 18. True, intimate fellowship with Him. Listen, we sang earlier about how deep the Father's love is for us. How amazing. But we won't get to feel that security. The security that comes through that relationship with Him if we ignore these fundamentals of fellowship. If you've been through discipleship, you know that a good father loves and cares for his children, protects his children, provides for his children, guides and teaches them, helps them, encourages them, disciplines them, feeds them, and has a plan for them. And there's great security that comes from those things. And they're all available through fellowship with him done, done, done biblically. But like we've talked about, they're available. They're not all automatic, though. And they won't necessarily be applied to your life if you've joined yourself with the world or even those that are applied to your life. You might not like them, because God will always love you, but His provision and His help and His discipline might look a little different if you love the world more than you love His Word. So the security through fellowship with Him is something we don't want to miss. But let me say one more thing, because I suspect some of you out there are missing it. And if you're out of fellowship with God and out of fellowship with other believers who are living out the ministry to which they've been called, I've got good news for you. You can fix it all right now. It just takes a repentant heart and a willing mind. Get right with God this morning and come join us. There's a lot of work to be done. We'd like nothing more than to do it alongside you. And if that's you, come talk to us, man. We'll be here during and after the last song. There is a spot for you. God is working behind the scenes because of his love for you. And he's waiting for that sincere prayer of repentance to come. And when it does, he's willing to pick you up, dust you off, and put you back in the game. He's got to come home. There's an old hymn that says, Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. See you on the portals, he's waiting and watching. Watching for you and for me. Come home. Come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading? Pleading for you and for me. Why should we linger and heed not his mercies? Mercies for you and for me. Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised. Promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon. Pardon for you and for me. Come home. Come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. I wish I could make you understand. It's the only life worth living. Come home and get back in fellowship with him. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so thankful for the fellowship you offer. And 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 there's some parameters that outline it and and um, Lord, but man, if if we'll just adhere to what your word says, there's this great security promise security of you receiving us when the whole world rejects us into your arms for comfort and, and protection. And, and this is the security that comes through a relationship with you as our Heavenly Father. And Lord, I just pray for everyone out here now. And, and uh, Lord, we're all, we're all dealing with the stuff we deal with individually. And we're all in different spots in our walk with you. and Lord, I pray that wherever we're at, you ask us to, to go one step closer just one step closer to you, and Lord, some people need to give it all to you, and there's some people here that maybe don't even know you, and Lord, if that's the case, Lord, I, pr- I pray that, th- that they will accept you as their Savior today, and, and Lord, you'll call them home uh, today, but Lord, if there's anybody out here that just needs uh, to be back in fellowship with you, Lord, that your Spirit would convict them now to do the things necessary to make that possible. Lord, it's, it's it's you're like Paul, Lord, you're not straightening us. We're straightening ourselves. You're you're not keeping us from drawing close to you. We, we do that. And so I pray that, that those walls are broken down this morning and that we would draw close to you. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.